Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Hello. Hello. We pulled the ultimate cringe last week, and we didn't acknowledge that we're in 2024 now. <gasps> oh, my God. We missed it by one week. What the heck? Bad Welcome, everyone. podcasters. By the time this episode is airing, I will have had a birthday. Old man. So and what fun. an interview last week. Mr. Rob Bell on the pod. Yeah. We had Rob Bell on the yeah, pod. Yeah, we did. Talking about his book, Where'd You Park Your Spaceship? And... In uh, the first quarter of the year here, January, February, uh, March of 2024, the Ravel Book Club is reading the novel we talked about with Rob Bell, which is called Where'd You Park Your Spaceship? And I'm very stoked on it. That book made me cry multiple times. The interview made me cry multiple times. And Emily and I just kind of floated on a cloud for the whole time for the rest of the day. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I actually died. Um, and I wow. was experiencing it was pretty some, awesome like spectral not gonna lie yeah he shared with us a, a wonderful potion that he makes every morning I would call it a smoothie but it didn't look like a smoothie it looked like a potion it was <laughs> right Emily? very very uh, alchemy yeah, yeah. it's very cool huh? um, speaking of drinks what potions are y'all imbibing today I've made myself a hot chalky I don't remember the brand of the hot chocolate uh, but it's in a red bag, and it's woman-owned, and it's like from Boston. Oh, cool! So if anyone knows, I think it starts with a C, but I'm pretty sure it's not Chaps. It's like ch- Coops. Pretty cool. Very nice. Anyway, it's delicious. I put it in some Minor Figures oat milk, and I even have a little uh, peppermint stick in there. I'm not usually a hot chocolate person, but given how cold it is out, I'm feeling it. And then I also got some Topo Chico with some lemon juice. Of course. Delightful. Mm-hmm. I have a really big mug and when i say big it's child uh, sized 28 ounces oh wow um and it's apple cider and then i have two whole cinnamon sticks that i'm like stirring in it and just kind of adding a little extra cinnamon in there so yeah gives us some kick gives us some warmth delightful speaking of kick i am enjoying a lovely pour of angel's envy bourbon whiskey tonight oh boy and as backup i I'm enjoying a sleeper of a LaCroix flavor. I was just recently introduced to berry, and honestly, it's delicious. Mm. Okay. Oh, Josh, no? Uh, no, no, not for no? me. More for me, then. <laughs> I don't like tangerine. More for me. So, look at us. We're finding our Ubuntu energy between us. Friendship at its finest. LaCroix of Ubuntu. Ubuntu LaCroix? What are we saying? Emily, you said something last episode that... Uh, to be honest, Uh-oh. I knew I knew it was my episode. <laughs> yeah. 
today and all day I've been thinking about it and I'm like, oh, I just don't know what episode I want to bring to the first topic I get to bring to 2024. You know, it has to be special. It has to set a tone. And honestly, and honestly, I think 2024 is going to be the year that I, because I'm not Christian anymore. And to be honest, I'm kind of bored about talking about the Bible. I'm probably going to bring a lot more like philosophy and maybe even like classical thought experiments that come from philosophy. Okay. Okay. So today I was wondering if you all would indulge me and participate in thinking through the full version of Pascal's wager. Oh man. I thought you were going to say the trolley problem. Nope. Not yet. Okay. Okay. We build to that. What's the full version? Cause actually, okay. Nope, I'm going to save that take. Yeah, I'm let's talk that. about the misconceptions first. Yeah, you go for it. No, I want to hear your bad take. I think Pascal's wager is a really bad one. <laughs> sure. And like, But I also don't think How it's, do you understand Pascal's wager? I understand Pascal's wager to be, and I, I know that it's more complicated than this because I have not read Pascal. I think I have a very C.S. Lewis version of Pascal. My perception of Pascal's wager is that it's basically like the wager of like, you might as well believe that the God of the Bible exists in case it's true because it's too mm. risky not to. <laughs> and if if it turns out it's not true, then you've lived a good and virtuous life. And that's just an argument that could be used for any belief system. <gasps> okay, never mind. No, Emily, what do you got? Please. No, 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 I know. I <laughs> was, because you said that I said something. <laughs> The whole time you guys have been talking, I'm in my brain thinking, what the hell did I say? And now I realize what it is that I said. It was my cringy benediction yeah. the last yep. episode. <laughs> yep. You better hope you're right. <laughs> that's funny. That's that's funny. I got you. Okay, so Josh, yeah, I think you're addressing uh, what is considered like a misconception of uh, the wager. Okay. The intent wasn't necessarily to be used as like a an apologetics tool. Oh, interesting. Pascal was never interested in like using or providing an argument to convince atheists to believe. Oh, fascinating. Huh. Yeah, there's there's a lot of writing about how people have kind of like taken fragments of his book. Oh, it's called something French, I believe. It basically mm. the title of his book is Thoughts. Which, 10 out of 10, that's like... I hope to be so bold someday to just publish Thoughts. a book called Thoughts. Just, or a, it has real blog energy, that's, doesn't no, it? No, that's a white man blog energy. <laughs> that's good. To, to, that's yes, good. Yes. Thoughts by Bla- <laughs> Blaise Pascal. <laughs> Let alone that he was a brilliant mathematician. Um, Pensies, as I, I believe how you say the actual word, but yeah, it just means thoughts. So the misconception is, and honestly, a lot of people credit C.S. Lewis for kind of bastardizing Pascal's wager and actually using it that way. Oh, like as in he was like the first or like the most prominent person to do that? He was the most, perhaps the most prominent person to write about evangelical theology through commentary which I nowadays affectionately call fan theories. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people look to C.S. Lewis of uh, C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer. Those two have big, big energy that 
are kind of credited with that. But the the full rules or the full like logic of the wager is as follows. I'll give this to you. God is or God is not. Reason cannot decide between the two alternatives. Pure reason alone. You can't arrive at God certainly exists or God certainly does not exist. A game, and he calls it a capital G game, which is a fun philosopher way of saying, hey, this is a word I'm choosing intentionally. A game is being played where heads or tails will turn up. You must wager. It is not optional to not play the game. Let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. There's here an infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain, a chance to gain against a finite number of chances of loss, and what you stake is finite. And so your proposition is of infinite force when there is the finite to stake in a game where there are equal risks of gain and of loss and the infinite to gain. But some cannot believe. They should then at least learn your inability to believe and endeavor then to convince themselves. So Josh, I actually don't think like the misconception is actually that far off, but Mm, mm. there are, there are caveats that he has embedded in here that people do war with, especially the part of like, I'm sorry, but you just can't choose not to play. You have to accept that this is like actually a thing. But then what, what I think a lot of people lose about Pascal is that his last point is Mm. some people don't choose to not believe, Mm. but in his opinion, you should basically fake it till you make it because Mm. there is infinite risk. Pascal isn't even dealing with actually, let me double check. Okay. So Pascal lives 1623 to 1662. So after the Reformation, he's French. Um, he has a lot of thoughts. He has a lot of thoughts, but again, <laughs> it's actually kind of... Thanks. That's funny. Okay. I missed it. <laughs> Emily made her a little noise, and I was like, oh, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> I think in this case, it's actually important to note that he is French and not German. So his influences aren't actually okay. Okay. that reformed, probably. How does this all sit with you? It's notable to say that Pascal is not necessarily using the wager necessarily. And actually his framing is all basically in positive affirmation of like, think of what you could gain if you believed this adequately and you gained Mm -hmm. infinite life in heaven. He's specifically not saying, and think of all the shit you would go through if you were infinitely in hell instead. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's how it's been co-opted the worst is to play the fear of hell game. Well, first off, um, as someone who has watched the Doctor Who specials as they've been coming out, and I just watched the most recent one as of this recording with the toy maker. Oh, um, yes. I'm, yeah, you saw it? I did. I oh, did. Oh, my God. Oh. Okay. I like love that Pascal's wager is actually more like Pascal's game. Like, right. I actually really like the, like the idea of it being a game. I think that's very fun and joyful and I think in some ways like breaks out of the binary a bit like I mean that that Doctor Who episode was like delightfully cheesy 
Like, uh, uh, yes, that's I a don't think great it's... way to put it. <laughs> no, I mean, no spoilers. Uh, but like, I don't think it's as simple as game being the third option between good and evil. But I think in this, in the sense of like faith and doubt, I think it's interesting to think of it as like a game that you cannot opt out of. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm like kind of with him, kind of not. Like, I agree with his premise that like you most certainly cannot certainly know one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like, due to the very nature of God, as we understand what God could be. <laughs> like, I think that's very philosophical and fun. And I think I agree with that, actually. And I think I even agree with him that, like, that is a call towards faith one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think that that is, like, reason enough. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, I feel like he's getting at reason. And I feel like his reasoning is that because reasoning cannot say, you must risk it all to believe that it's true. Mm-hmm. I'm still getting that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I am misunderstanding what he's saying but i feel like the essence of it boils down to you risk more by choosing not to play the game and believe Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but i don't i don't think that that is necessarily true either like there there's no proof positive towards that he and you're right he doesn't like make any like allusion to hell or eternal torment or like non-existence um Mm -hmm. i feel like it's making a lot of like unspoken premises emily i'm curious to hear from you i'm kind of wondering what your experience of if any uh of studying philosophy in seminary like what was that like because i think of like the philosophy class i took at rocky mountain college which is like technically a methodist school but it's not really interested in that (laughs) you know and i think of the philosophy class and like speaking of cringe last episode my philosophy professor just did not get it. It was so cringy the way he was just so anti-religion. And I wonder if there was a, a more even handed treatment of like philosophy as a study in post-grad, like in seminary for you. Um, Was it treated cringy? I guess is my question. Was philosophy cringy in seminary because no, because we had it was an it was technically a United Methodist seminary, but it was ecumenical in the sense of it was more than just Methodists teaching. We actually had more professors who were not Methodists than <laughs> Methodists. Cool. But more students were Methodists than not Methodists. And a lot of the philosophy that was taught was kind of woven into different subjects like it wasn't a standalone subject it was either tied into church history or hebrew bible or new testament if you were studying like languages it was even woven into that a little bit too Hmm. um but no i wouldn't say it was cringe really so how do you approach pascal's wager now are you struck with the same kind of resistance josh is Uh, do you have a point of view that both josh and i are missing I I don't even know if this is going to make sense. So Josh, you and I are in good company. Um, she just said I, you didn't make sense at all, Josh. I, <laughs> I like to, you know, I'm looking at like the simple chart of like it broken down. And when I think about 
so what if right so like if i'm wagering right now so i not only believe god exists but i believe in god and you know if i'm wrong at the end of the day then like okay yeah sure my life was good and i live with purpose or whatever but it makes me think about like the other side of like the side that i that like i lost like if i was the losing side Mm. how does that make me feel to be the loser you know what i mean because like someone loses and i don't like to lose and so at that point am i going to treat this game like it's a literal game or am i going to move past it and you know see see what comes of it so do you 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 kind of feel baited by the fact that it is a game and that there's gambling afoot yeah i do i think that's a very honest thing to say i don't think a lot of people would acknowledge like yeah but i want to be right yeah like i want to win i want to be I tell right about myself this that like if god doesn't exist and i was wrong but i still lived a good life okay yeah i want to believe that fully but like also i want to know that i'm right it I would wanna, be like, really <laughs> disappointing yeah right for either side I, th- I think I like to be transparent. I put Pascal's wager on my list of Ravel topics years ago when I was solidly Ooh. like past believing in internal conscious torment. Basically like I hope universalism is true, but I think annihilationism is probably like the right way to read the Bible. And then as we all know, I famously became like the full on universalist and then the slippery slope led me here. <laughs> where i'm not afraid of any of it <laughs> but i wrote pascal's wager so long ago in my notes literally with the question of like what if we're all wrong um right because mm-hmm. i i think that question is kind of haunting now i i listened i did a lot of deep diving on different theologies of hell that was like the thing that started deconstruction mm-hmm. raveling for me uh because being introduced to alternatives that weren't the weren't the kind of stories and fan theories that get literally gave me nightmares at night. And like I lived for a decade and a half with actual anxiety of hell and being like afraid that, you know, I would get, you know, I would fall off a curb and hit my head and die. And I hadn't confessed that I masturbated that morning or something. And then that would be my ticket to hell. So like there was a lot of like religious scrupulosity tied up, and all that as well but i think being introduced to annihilationism a lot of people who advocate for annihilationism or what they call it uh conditional immortality is basically like yeah so if you think about it this is a way for god to be merciful because the elect do get to be rewarded for their faith and also like the people who quote unquote go to hell their their life ends in the second death and effectively they also kind of get what they wanted because they didn't believe in any of this. So they end up just having the dirt nap that they assumed it was going to be. And that was really where I got like into Pascal's wager. Cause I was like, is that really, is that really all there is to it? And then I discovered, no, Pascal wasn't actually interested in hell. He actually has a lot of like really interesting to interesting things to say about uncertainty. Ooh! if you guys would mm. indulge me here he has a lot of categories and quotes so i'm just going to go down the list here Sweet. do it top of the list uncertainty in all 
This is what I see and what troubles me. I look on all sides and everywhere I see nothing but obscurity. Nature offers me nothing that is not a matter of doubt and disquiet. So that's, that's a fun place to live. Uncertainty in man's purpose. For after all, what is man in nature? A nothing in relation to infinity, all in relation to nothing. A central point between nothing and all and infinitely far from understanding either. Uncertainty in reason. There is nothing so comfortable to reason as this disavowal of reason. Uncertainty in science. There is no doubt that natural laws exist, but once this fine reason of ours was corrupted, it corrupted everything else. This is my personal favorite. Uncertainty in religion. If I saw no signs of a divinity, I would fix myself in denial. If I saw everywhere the marks of a creator, I would repose peacefully in faith. But seeing too much to deny him and too little to assure me, I am in a pitiful state and I would wish a hundred times that if a God sustains nature, it would reveal him without this ambiguity. Whoa. We understand nothing of the works of God unless we take it as a principle that he wishes to blind some and to enlighten others. And then finally, I love this as the like summation of the list, uncertainty in skepticism. It is not certain that everything is uncertain. That's fun. Wow. I love those quotes way more than I thought I would. Pretty good, honestly. I think people look at Pascal's wager as a significant movement in philosophy because it's actually where there's formal application like for the first time in the field of philosophy of decision theory existentialism pragmatism and voluntarism Mm. and i really get the existentialism out of some of those yeah uncertainties about other what's voluntarism like volunteering yeah basically like uh the idea it's free will adjacent Mm. (laughs) like that you have some agency or some power to say well, in Pascal's case, while I see the benefits there is to call heads in the game, that is the coin toss of does God exist or not, so I'm going to call heads every time, and I get to choose that. And that's where it comes in where Pascal says, like, it's kind of that fake it till you make it energy. Like, you should behave as if you believe it until you believe it, because ultimately, if that's the way you want to play the game. Yeah. Basically. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, So we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting. 
And thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. I still think it's a false dichotomy, but I also love his appreciation for uncertainty. Like I agree with him there and I'm having trouble putting to words why I don't like the wager. I think maybe part of it is that like he presents it almost like a coin toss. Like you're saying. That's exactly. Yeah. The coin toss is about to happen. You have to call heads or tails, but then like he pivots from there from like inevitability and like a certainty that like you have to make a choice. To like, well, one of the choices is infinitely good. Mm-hmm. He's, then there's like a judgment on it, regardless of like what someone's belief is about that. And I think there's an implication too that the other choice is at least not infinitely good, if not infinitely bad. And then like, therefore, it's just like not a coin toss anymore. I think you like move the goalposts in the argument personally. Mm-hmm. Because like he's like talking about ambiguity, and then like he made it very much like, uh, I don't know, like I don't even know like what other analogy to put to it. It's almost like you tell someone like, okay, you either have to kill the baby or not kill the baby. What are you gonna do? You have to choose one. <laughs> and like, <laughs> well, when you put it that way, I guess I'll choose not to kill the baby. Yeah. Okay. You know, like it. It feels like a. It just feels like a false dichotomy. Like it. Yeah, it does assume some level of like common knowledge of like what are we talking about? What is this infinite gain that I would have from winning? Yeah. It does assume that we all kind of know what we're talking about. He does get pushback from like Voltaire was one of his critics. Mm. And he basically through that whole idea, like Voltaire is basically where you are. So congratulations, Josh. Oh. Um, <laughs> he's he's like you can't you can't make this a, like a purely pragmatic decision by telling us you're it's impossible to not choose yeah like there's pressure that comes from that and voltaire is saying like no 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 I, I there's a given assumed in pascal that is more based in honestly mathematics than it is in the theology of it i yeah. think because you know that people chose not to play the game yeah exactly and i think that's where Pascal's wager is unfortunately short-sighted in the in the sense of um like to be blunt it is just assuming Christianity mm-hmm. is one side of the coin and disbelief mm-hmm. in Christianity is the other side of the coin. What it's not allowing for is like pluralism within world religions, indigenous religions, new religious movements. Like there's so yeah. many it's not a coin, it's more like a hundred-sided die. Yeah. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes you know? me. It makes me think of like in Chicago. Alex loved <laughs> hackling these people. Uh, it's <laughs> like the people that you'd find on the subway or like at the at the L, and they have the three bowls and they hid something under one and they're moving it across the table. Totally, and like, yeah. There's that one person that is dying to play. There's that one person that is playing. There's one person that's feeling coerced to play and then there's everyone else who's just choosing to ignore that guy. <laughs> and that's what this is. It's like, yeah, I can go about my life not playing and that's totally fine. And the people who choose not to play, they are not setting themselves up for failure because they will be a winner no matter what. Because mm. they're never going to be poked and prodded to put themselves up 
for gambling that belief. If it's never addressed to them, they're going to like they're going to win in their mind. They're going to win. Yeah, to not participate is an option in that situation. I mean, like take it from a musician on the street corner to a street preacher on the street corner. Kind of the same thing, right, Josh? Like some people um. will take a bullhorn and respond. Some people will listen. Some people will listen and cheer him on. And then the vast majority of people are like, nah, I don't want any part of this. I'm going many blocks away. Bye. Yeah. 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 I do like this elevation of like, yeah, Pascal's wager anymore can't be so literally two-sided. It's not a D2 mm-hmm. we're throwing. Mm-hmm. It's a D20 or a D100 of like where disbelief in any divinity is just one side of that. Because I think I think he was operating with assumptions, and I don't, you know, I don't fault him for that, that it's the Christian God he was talking about. But I think Pascal's wager fails when we don't see that Muslims have something to contribute to the conversation, as do Buddhists, and ancient Native American tribes we'll never hear of. What do you think Pascal's wager is good for? Like, is it saying anything that's, like, worthwhile to you still? I do feel like it helps. Honestly, I think it helps us do what we have done so far, and that's interrogate the assumptions and the givens that are assumed behind each one of those statements. I also like the surprise that there is embedded in like all his acknowledgement for uncertainty. I also like the, the energy of voluntarism and existentialism that comes in that, Mm. that we're not necessarily destined to believe right or believe wrong that we set, we have some sort of agency. Yeah. I feel, do you think there's like a Christian? Okay. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to ask a question. Do it. I get the same kind of energy and hear me out on this one. I get the same kind of energy from say like a Tim Keller who says like, there is a throne in your heart and whatever sits there you worship. Mm. That's like, given given and then the thought experiment is is it jesus or is it you or is it material wealth or anything like that but it it, like i think the gift of pascal's wager is show show us like where we do that all over the place Mm. Mm -hmm. make those assumptions i think even in uncertainty like that's where his argument is resting and i never really noticed that before and i think that's really interesting because like i relate to that first premises of like we can't know and i think that he's coming to a very different like obligation in the wager Mm -hmm. and i think that's really interesting i think maybe that's my biggest problem with it is like i don't i don't see the necessary jump from premise to obligation Ooh, other than maybe dare i call it selfishness Ooh. Like, ooh, uh, infinite gain? Yes, please. Sure. Infinite pleasure? Yes, please. Yeah, I'll take a gamble yeah. on that any day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Do you think wanting salvation is selfish? Yeah. Absolutely. No hesitation. Wow. <laughs> Say more. But I don't think that's bad. Like, I think maybe I would use the term self centered versus selfish. I had self-preservation maybe someone recently gave me that distinction yeah i think it's absolutely self-preservation and maybe that is what pascal is 
leaning on. Like, I think he's maybe implying that without saying that premise. Like, I think it would feel like a more full-fledged argument if he did flesh out that premise of like, even just something as simple as like, humanity has a drive to self-persevere and uh, for the individual, self-preservation is good. Like, something like that. I think if he like actually made more of an argument versus like, I kind of see how C.S. Lewis took this, the apologetics route, because it kind of just feels like apologetics to me at like face value, mm-hmm. even though maybe that wasn't his original intent when he first wrote it. But like to me, the person raised in American Christianity, it feels like a bad apologetics argument. Emily, you answered that question awful fast, too. Dang right I did. Yeah. Oh, do you want me to explain why? Of course I do. <laughs> we're called to love our neighbor and to love god and yes i know love your neighbor as yourself but you're to love your neighbor and to love god and so when you put yourself first whether it is about salvation or self-preservation what have you that's selfish like (laughs) just Mm. That's selfish. And we are not called to be selfish people. We are called to be selfless people. When we fill others, we are then filled. But if your hope is to be filled and that's the only reason you're filling others, you're still being selfish and you're not really filling people then. And in a way, you're not really filling yourself either. So, wow. Is it even possible to approach that differently? Like, like, what do you mean? Well, because my apologetic, my Christian apologetics training is like blinking red light in the back of my head being like, yeah, but it's not selfish to secure your oxygen mask before helping others. So like. Because in that instance, if you're trying to put someone else's on. Yeah. And you end up passing out, you're not helping that other person. Right. Well, that's, that's the way like evangelism is framed. Like from where I grew up, it was like. You got to get right with God so you can help others get right with God, but we can't get those out of order. We got to get you right first because quite literal like evangelism pyramid scheme vibes, I guess. Recruitment was the idea. Okay. But so like but- what does what is the what is the approach? Are we just acknowledging that there's always going to be some of this self-preservation, self-centered, selfish motivation? Well, yeah, cuz we're human. Sure. The closest I can think, like in my personal life, the p- closest person I can think of of being like altruistic is my mom, you know, and even then she'll have some selfish tendencies, but for the most part, anything she does, she does not want any sort of glory or gratification or recognition. It's truly just to do unto others and having this deep caring kindness but that does not happen all the time for everyone. And that's a that's a conversation between that person and the divine. Like, <laughs> mm. you know, we like we all have to start somewhere. And I don't think in this lifetime we can ever fully achieve true altruism because we are always experiencing human errancy and faults because we are on a temporal plane that wasn't even meant to be keep us permanently Mm. i will admit that i i feel a considerable amount of resistance to some things you just said that's fair that's and i'll even say in terms of like what we've been talking about of like you talk about like a temporal plane that was never meant 
to hold us forever. Maybe the, maybe, you know, in the context of like the gift of Pascal's wager is like, that feels like an assumption that gets to be made. And I don't even want to take that away from you necessarily, but like to acknowledge that I'm playing the other side of Pascal's wager. Now let's assume that this is all there is. And we're not worried about temporal planes and where we're supposed to be or meant to be because this is the lifetime we have. There's no other. Then I don't want to be selfish. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Cause it's not going to get me anywhere. Like the end result's going to be the same. Sure. That's just it. Like overly selfish. I like, I'm kind of at a point in my life where like, and the, the way I'm looking at things nowadays is like i think we can disguise all sorts of altruism in self-preservation and self-centeredness and i don't think that's a bad thing to a degree yeah but yours if i'm hearing you correctly and i really don't want this to feel like antagonistic between us um if i'm hearing you correctly you're saying there is an ideal that is possible to live into that is like completely unselfish yeah yeah I'm going to I'm going to pull from the Santa Claus here like it's that great scene where Charlie's stepdad is, you know, like how does the reindeer fly and like all the chimneys if kids don't have chimneys and he asks Charlie he's like, "Well, have you ever seen a reindeer fly?" He goes, "Yes." And then Charlie whips it back at him and he says, "Have you ever seen a million dollars?" "No." Just cuz you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Like just because we've never seen an example in our lifetime of true altruism doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm. And I think it can be obtained, but we're human. And mm. if we treat life like a game, we're going to lose. Like, it doesn't matter what side you choose, you're going to lose because we're treating life yeah. like a game rather mm-hmm. than living life. Preach it. And like that, that's why like... <laughs> you got Josh. You got That's him. why like when we approach anything with whether it's putting the mask on first before assisting others like that just it that makes sense okay like it just makes sense because when you put your own mask on you have the better likelihood to assist those who cannot put masks on themselves it's not so much a you got to take care of yourself before you take care of others it's you got to take care of yourself and it's for those who cannot take care of themselves. Like, if I put my mask on, I'm not going to lean over towards Alex and say, oh, here, let me do this for you. Let me put your mask on for you. He's damn well capable of doing it, too. But if I put my mask on, and I look over at Thea. She's not physically capable of putting the mask on herself. She has no fucking clue what's going on. So I'm going to assist her. And that's being selfless in that act. Instead of just being like, oh, you got this, Thea. You, I'm putting all my faith in you. I've raised you right. Uh, you can do this. There are just things that make mm. sense. And I think sometimes we approach theology with that same mindset of, I got to take care of myself before I can take care of other people. It's not your job to take care of other people. God will do that. Okay. And also, frankly, if people don't want to be taken care of, they're going to tell you, hey, don't put my mask on. I'm ready. Like, I don't want this. This is fine. <laughs> like, we don't. We approach everything like it has to be an end result of winning or having the most or being the most right. And that's not life. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to be, but that's how we treat it. And I think Pascal is stupid. That's what it comes down to in my brain. Wow. Stupid. Life is not a game. It's never been a game. Um, yeah. So fuck off, Pascal. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. Well, to quote my friend Emily, I hope you're right. I hope you're right, too. <laughs> well, I feel like that was such a strong note. I feel like we should end it there. Oh, Amen. yeah. Amen. Yep. Emily, what, how do you want to end? Do you, do you feel like you have uh, an ending or two you can choose between? Yeah, we're all winners. <laughs> Hell yeah. We're all winners. We're all winners because we're doing life. We're living life. We're breathing life. We are experiencing the divine. We're not experiencing the divine. We're struggling. We're wrestling. We're certain and everything in between. And that is what makes this such an incredible experience. And if I'm wrong, by golly, at least I had fun doing it. And if I'm right, y'all can suck my big toe for those of you who doubted me. And if it doesn't matter, then so be it. I throw my hands in the air, I wave the white flag, and we're all winners. Winners.